Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join all you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Was at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. Again, we have a great guest today, Gordon Chang. He's been on before. He's a great guy. He's very smart. He's brilliant. Will Z invade Taiwan is the number one question. Gordon Chang is the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War and Losing South Korea. That's amazing. Booklets released by Encounter Books. As you may remember from the last podcast, Mr. Chang's previous books are Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World, and The Coming Collapse of China, both from Random House. Mr. Chang lived and worked in China and Hong Kong for almost two decades most recently in Shanghai as counsel to the American law firm Paul Weiss and earlier in Hong Kong as partner in the international law firm Baker and McKenzie. Mr. Chang, welcome back to the Michael Savage podcast. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Savage. Listen, we have something interesting. You know, I didn't know that you are also an expert on this issue of losing South Korea. It's curious to me because Doug Lin is of North Korean heritage, and we just discussed yesterday doing a podcast on how North Korea came about because his mother walked out of North Korea with her clothing on her back uh, when the Chinese took over. And he told us a horrible story, Mr. Chang. They came in the village and they gave everyone an opportunity, a chance to join the Communist Party. Those who didn't were shot the next day. All the men were killed the next day. The women and children escaped walking through ice and snow just with the clothing on their back. One of these days, I think we should talk about the horrors that the North Koreans have experienced from the communist Chinese. Yes. You know, this is North Korea is, by most accounts, the most horrible regime on Earth. Huh. And what's going on now is Kim Jong-un has sort of he's sort of normalized things. You know, he's just so weird that we just sort of dismiss him. But he's a dangerous character, and the regime continues to commit these gross abuses of human rights. Many of them are actually crimes against humanity. And this is one of the most dangerous regimes because of its uh, missiles and its nuclear weapons. Is North Korea providing any weaponry to Russia right now? Maybe. Mm. Um, there was the report about three weeks ago that they were going to sell artillery shells to the Russians, which is entirely possible because the North Koreans sell a lot of military equipment around uh, the world in violation of Security Council sanctions. You know, the big topic, of course, is will Chairman Z, is he called Chairman Z? I don't even know. Is it President or is Chairman Z? Well, he is president of the state. But more important, he's the general secretary of the Communist Party, and he's the chairman of the Communist Party's Central Military Commission. 
But when people talk about chairman, um, they normally use it in the same way that Mao Zedong mm. was chairman of China. And Mao is the founder of the People's Republic. Xi Jinping reveres Mao. Only three people have held the title of chairman. And Xi Jinping wants it, apparently. And that would sort of cement his status, uh, his position in the political system. You write in your article, China's Xi Jinping grabs more power, pushing Asia closer to war, Gordon G. Chang. And you write this, a messianic ruler already considered the world's most influential figure is about to get absolute power over the planet's most populous state. Chances are Chinese President Xi will lead China into war. And that's a very big statement. You know much more about it than almost anyone on this planet. What is he about to do? Didn't he also say that he's going to move on to Taiwan? I read they Bloomberg Blinken says China wants to seize Taiwan on much faster timeline. Why is Blinken saying that? I think um, the secretary of state is saying that because there's an apparent lack of urgency in the Biden administration. And it's not just in the White House. It's also in the Pentagon, senior civilian officials, but also the three and four stars. Um, you know, when they talk about war with China, they say, well, if it occurs, it will be in the 2027, 2035 timeframe. Oh. And because of that perception, mm. they are now taking, uh, they want to um, retire planes and ships to pay for the modernization of the future force. But by doing that, they're weakening, weakening us now. Mm. And now is the time, I think, of maximum danger with the, uh, China. If we can get through the next three or four years, I think we'll be in okay shape. But the Pentagon, I think, is just doing things which, to me, um, are exceedingly dangerous. I agree with you. Uh, they're more concerned with white supremacists in the imaginary hills of Montana than they are with, uh, with China. You write what happens next will be remembered for generations. Chances are Chinese President Xi Jinping will lead China into war. Uh, do you believe that will be sooner rather than later? And do you think they will move on Taiwan? I actually think that they will move on Taiwan. Mm. Um, we don't know what's in Xi Jinping's mind. And the Chinese political system has become less transparent, especially over the last three or four years. But there are certain things that tip the balance in my mind. Um, one of them is that Xi Jinping has made it a test of his own legitimacy that China absorbs Taiwan during the period of his rule. He has said ominously, and I think this is like 2019 or so, that the problem, and he calls it a problem of Taiwan, cannot be passed down from generation to generation. Oh, my God. And he talks about it um, occurring in the new era. Now, new era is a phrase that he started using in, I think it was November of last year, and that is really meant to um, denote, uh, to, to signify the period of his rule. So that's one thing. But the other thing is, regardless of intention, we know that he's implementing the biggest military buildup since the Second World War. But more ominously, Michael, he is getting the Chinese um, civilians and people ready for mm. war and doing that in a number of different ways. That's what makes it, in my mind, that he's going to move. At the same time that we have a growing muscular China, a growing muscular China military in particular, a more militant leader in China, more militant than I've seen in my lifetime since I would say the 1950s, 
we have, from my point of view, I've said it before, a clearly senile president who's more concerned with issues that have nothing to do with military readiness, such as trans rights, things like that. China obviously reads and watches American publications. Every country does that for every other country. How do they perceive the American government in terms of this obsession with white supremacism and transgender rights? Do they see this at all? Well, they certainly do. And at least with regard to race, um, they have been promoting critical race theory through their propaganda. Wait, wait, the, the Chinese, the Chinese government and Communist Party. Um, yes, they do. I don't think they've weighed in on transgender, but they certainly weighed in on critical race theory. And they never miss an opportunity to criticize the United States as a racist society. Oh. So this is something that they play on and they work this very oh. hard, Michael. They're fanning the flames, in other words, to create discord within this country. Absolutely. You, you nailed it. I'm trying to I mean, I'm trying to put this in context. I'm trying to think this through. Obviously, if I were a strategic planner for communist China, that's how I would think it's an old it's an old strategy of China, which is take the enemy down from within. You, you know, you don't yes. have to be a genius to understand that you can bring an enemy down without firing a shot. Michael Savage, a host like no other. You know, I have this book that I keep with me, and you probably are an expert on it. Um, all the strategies of that great ancient warrior that have been read by every military on Earth. You're talking about Sun Tzu? Thank you. I'm sure that... The Art of War. I'm sure that he has read that a few times. <laughs> yes, and there's another book that we should be acquainted with, a little bit more recent than Sun Tzu. Um, it's 1999 book by then two Chinese Air Force colonels called Unrestricted Warfare. And you can boil down the book to basically a couple sentences, and that is China can do anything it wants um, to destroy the United States. Oh, my God. Mr. Chang, I'm holding in my hands a book that is, I'm sure, not vaguely familiar to you. Oh, quotations from Chairman Mao, yeah. Now, I've had this. Tens of millions of those <laughs> copies. Actually, hundreds of millions of those books have been printed. So he's a mass murderer, Mao. And, and this is his, in his own words, some of his statements. And I've read these over the years, ever since I found this copy in, in North Beach, San Francisco. Because here in San Francisco, as you know, we have the largest Chinatown outside of China. At least that was true till a while ago. And there is a communist Chinese element in this Chinatown, so to speak just as there is a Taiwanese element in this Chinatown. Uh, and this book was was widely released here in the bookstores in North Beach in the 1960s during the, the, the hippie era. I, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with it. You know the Bay Area, what it's like. Actually, I've lived in San Francisco. I'm sure you... Not for very long, but three or four months. But while I was studying for the California bar exam, I lived in San Francisco and actually did walk around North Beach, <laughs> among other neighborhoods. The food is excellent. But food's excellent. But Michael, you know, there's something, an important point that you just referred to, and that is in Chinatown in San Francisco, um, 
Chinese Americans, quote unquote, have been flying the flag of the People's Republic of China. Yes. And this is, to me, an important issue because what it shows to other Americans is that Chinese Americans are disloyal. Mm. And what this does is it makes it difficult for the rest of us. And, you know, the Communist Party of China in their propaganda talks about how there is so much anti-Asian hate, anti-Chinese hate. And that we therefore, you know, no one should criticize the People's Republic because that that causes Chinese hate. But Chinese Americans in many of them have brought this um, on themselves. Mm. And, you know, no American, Chinese American or whatever, has an obligation to show they're loyal. But the problem is many Chinese Americans have shown themselves to be disloyal. Mm. And that has given legitimate, I think it raises in the minds of other Americans, a legitimate concern about the loyalty of this segment of the American population. That's disloyal to it. That is disloyal to America. That is disloyal. And, you know, it's not just the PRC flags in San Francisco. It's every time the FBI arrests a Chinese American, then you have other Chinese Americans go on and on about how this is race motivated and the rest of it. But- Communist China is infiltrating our society. They overwhelming us. And um, we have an obligation to defend our society. Um, got to remember that. If, just give me a few seconds here. No problem. Under the Communist Party's top down system, no Chinese national can disobey an order from the party. Oh, it's, the it party sounds like a Democrat con- party in San Francisco. <laughs> and 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 the. In China, they've even codified this into the 2017 National Intelligence Law, Article 7 and 14, if people want to look it up, where it, every Chinese national, every Chinese entity has an obligation to commit acts of espionage oh. or other destructive acts on the instructions of the relevant Chinese authorities. Oh, Lord. This makes every Chinese national, I think, a legitimate target of law enforcement concern. This is not racial. This is basically, it's, it's China putting a target on the backs of all Chinese nationals in the U.S. And we shouldn't be concerned about issues of racism. We should be concerned mm. about the safety and security of the United States of America, because we know that China has been committing not only acts of espionage against us, but also acts intended to bring down the U.S. government. In other words, to encourage people to commit acts of violence on the streets of America. So this is a legitimate matter of concern for um, you know Chinese nationals in our country. I have to point out to the listeners of this podcast that you yourself, to, I, I know this, your name is obviously of Chinese heritage. You are of Chinese heritage, correct? Correct. My dad came from Jiangsu province. Okay, so I, I have to point that out because right away there'll be a knee-jerk reaction of, this is a reactionary statement against all Chinese. No, it's not. This is a statement of warning the American public of the maliciousness and the relentlessness of the Chinese Communist Party and how they have weaponized Chinese nationals against the U.S. So this is not, a, as I said, this is not a matter of racism. This is a matter of, um, you know, communist China has made Chinese nationals and Chinese entities a legitimate uh, area of concern for U.S. law enforcement. We didn't do this. They did it. Gordon Chang, the big question for all of us listening today is, will Z invade Taiwan? So I pick up my little 
American copy of the gentleman you mentioned the other day. The Art of War. And I have one little piece circled here that I wanted to read to you. Sun Tzu said, whoever is first in the field and awaits the coming of the enemy will be fresh for the fight. Whoever is second in the field and has has to hasten the battle will arrive exhausted. Therefore, the clever combatant imposes his will on the enemy, but does not allow the enemy's will to be imposed upon him. It's a classic tenet of martial arts, which is to strike first in most cases and keep you watch sumo wrestling. And just as an outsider looking in, whoever attacks first will throw the other big guy off balance and by keep nudging him continue to throw him off balance till he's pushed off the mat it seems to be a strategy that they're enacting isn't that what you're saying in a way yes i mean they're attacking us and we're not defending ourselves and you know this is not just a biden issue um you go back to presidents uh, whose last names were bush clinton bush Obama, Trump, and Biden mm. have all not defended the U.S. when they should have. And they actually, the, um, the sin has actually gotten worse because as time has gone on, we have learned more and more about the intent of the Communist Party to take down the United States. Wow. It's such a big statement, and there's so many points of interest to me. So let me just make it kind of a little personal history. So I'm in radio going back to the 90s, and I noticed something happening. Some of our top and most respected diplomats become lobbyists for China in that period. That would include men like Bob Dole. I was shocked. I would expect nothing less from Madeleine Albright. I never respected her. But Bob Dole was a certified war hero. And here he went, became a lobbyist for China. There was a rush to cash in on the two-way ticket uh, representing Chinese interests here in America. And here we are now where a man of your stature is way beyond any is saying things way beyond what anyone else is saying that I hear in the media, which is that basically they're at war with us and they're they're continuing to be at war with us. So we go again to the new leader who's been there how long now mr z uh, he just took n- new power but he's not a new leader by any means no he's been general secretary of the communist party since november 2012 okay and he's been president since 2013 but the president's job is pretty minor it, the real important job is mm. is party posts china's president often talks about how being sent to the countryside to live in a cave as a teenager made him tough is that true or a work of fiction I think that it's mostly true. Um, You know, this was during the Cultural Revolution, and those people who weren't tough didn't survive. So almost by definition, if you, you know, if you were sent down to the countryside, which is the phrase that was used, and if you survived and came back, um, you came back a lot tougher um, and with a lot darker view of humanity than those who didn't. And by the way, Michael, you were talking about Um, the war against the United States. In May 2019, People's Daily, which is the most authoritative publication in China, I mean, when when People's Daily speak, it's China speaking. In May 2019, People's Daily carried a piece that declared a quote-unquote people's war Mm. on the United States. And people's war is a phrase that goes back to Mao. It's not thrown around lightly. So yeah, 
China is at war with us, and we should listen to what these guys say because we are purposefully being oblivious. We're Americans. We think we have a right to be oblivious. Uh, and that's why we let our enemies attack us. Um, but, you know, God knows what the Chinese can do. It's, you know, we let Osama bin Laden attack us. We didn't listen to what he was saying. Um, but China is so much more powerful than Al Qaeda ever was or ever could be. The Savage Nation. It's savage on demand. You know, you say you use the phrase just now, a darker view of humanity. People came back with a darker view of humanity. I, I almost had a slight inner smile from that because I was raised with a darker view of humanity that isn't really actually American. People ask me why I have such a dark view of humanity. Well, for one, my father was an emigrate from Russia. So I'm a first generation American. He had a very dark view of humanity, he trusted no one because he came from a horrible society. And he didn't go along with my liberal college education in any way. He didn't believe anything I was being taught was true. I thought he was, uh, you know, a, a throwback to another era. I would say, Dad, come on. We're living in it. But, you know, my dark view of humanity, unfortunately, is coming, coming true. But the more I study this issue and more I listen to you, the more I see this analogy to Japan prior to war, uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor. So it's a good analogy. It's not perfect. I think it's somewhat analogous the, the Japanese were making moves against America. People were warning that the Japanese were arming. They said that they might attack. We sold them the Third Avenue L from New York steel, excess steel. As we took down the elevator train, I was told that the steel was turned into tanks, planes, bayonets and bombs. And we've been doing the same thing with China now for 20 years. We've been giving them the raw materials that they need to make war against us. Haven't we, Mr. Chang? Uh, yes. Well, and we've been giving them money and technology. Why? So this is an across the board. We have been enriching a hostile regime mm. that views us as an enemy. And uh, we did this with the hope that they would become benign as they became more powerful. Ah. But instead, they became more belligerent and provocative. So. This is the greatest mistake in American history. Wow. That's quite a statement. Thinking they would become more benign because we're nice to them. I see the typical sort. It's actually an imperialist view to think that the uh, folks, the uh, people in the provinces, the natives, as it were, will be nice to you if you're nice to them after you've suppressed them for so long. I mean, let, let's be clear from my point of view. The British dumped opium and imprisoned the Chinese people for a good long period of time by doping the entire nation. And if I'm not mistaken, it was the Boxer Rebellion that began the overthrow of the British colonial system in China. It was a militant overthrow. Is there any comparison between that mindset of a Boxer Rebellion against the British imperialists who doped up the whole country of China and what Xi is doing now? Does he take any anything from that rebellion oh yeah i mean what they're trying to do is to use drugs to weaken the united states oh, boy. you know these fentanyl gangs they are large well-organized international in scope they couldn't operate without the communist party's approval because the communist party runs a total surveillance state and we know that the fentanyl gangs they used to ship fentanyl through this chinese state postal system to mm, us my god now they do it through containers Every container, by the way, forget about fentanyl. 
every container leaving China gets inspected. So they obviously know what's going on. And it's even worse in that the fentanyl gangs actually launder the proceeds of their illegal um, trade through the Chinese state banking system. So Beijing wants this to happen. And TikTok, which is Chinese owned, glorifies drug use. So, yeah, this is very much on Xi Jinping's mind. God, I, but going back wait, to you have to please, you, you jumped ahead of something so important. You recently stated that China controls the TikTok algorithm and they're using this power on our children. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Two things. You know, we, we focus in on TikTok illegally, surreptitiously um, capturing information and sending it back to Beijing. Huh. And they say they don't do this. They've given us so many promises to the United States, but they've been violating all those promises. So that's one thing. And, and we, of course, focus on it um, because privacy is important for Americans. But what is more dangerous about TikTok is that Beijing uses the algorithm to propagate all sorts of its uh, notions. And just to give you an example, the, one of the recent ones is that um, China was using, Beijing was using TikTok to um, distribute this Russian disinformation about the Ukraine war. Remember, Trump tried to get China ByteDance, which is nominally a private company in, in China, um, to get ByteDance to sell TikTok to I was Oracle and to other parties. Mm. And the deal cratered because Trump correctly insisted that they had to give up control of the algorithm. China wouldn't do that. Mm. So um, that's the reason why they did this. And Michael, if I could one just Please, one other example. I'm here, I'm here to listen, not to speak. I'm only speaking to keep you going. <laughs> well, Radio Free Asia in 2020 reported that an intelligence unit of the Chinese People's Liberation Army based themselves in the now closed Chinese consulate in Houston. Oh. And from there, they were using artificial intelligence and big data to identify Americans likely to participate in violent protests. Uh -huh. And then the Chinese military sent them via TikTok, oh boy. via TikTok, videos on how to riot. Oh, my God. Now, this is more than just an act of trying to subvert the United States. This is actually an act of war. And we know that China has been trying, tried to inflame the violent protests in other ways. Oh, my God. Um, so, you know, it was was right for Trump to ban TikTok. He should have done it earlier. But it was really wrong for President Biden, as one of his first acts, to instruct the Justice Department to drop the federal government suit to ban TikTok and WeChat. This, WeChat is another did, Chinese did, By what you're saying, did the Chinese communist... Uh, operatives incite the January 6th insurrectionists, rioters, uh, etc.? People have alleged that. Um, I have not seen any evidence to support that. But um, So which violent protesters would they have tried to provoke? Well, 2020, they were... Oh, they, this was 2020. 2020. So the burning of Seattle, the burning of Portland, right. that type of thing? Yeah, and, and Radio Free Asia actually says, identifies Antifa and Black Lives Matter protests. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm not surprised. They look like they're one and one the same to me. So if we could go back for a minute to the art of war and Taiwan, what would a war scenario look like? What would they do first? 
Well, you know, I'm glad you raised that because there is a report from John Culver, a retired CIA intelligence official and now at the Atlantic Council. And he wrote a piece at the website of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, which says, basically, don't worry, folks, we will have many, many months, maybe a year's notice that China is that China is about to invade Taiwan. I think that that was absolutely wrong. I wrote a piece about this. Um, First of all, China could actually engage in acts of war against Taiwan, and we would never know it. So, for instance, they could release a pathogen in Taiwan. Now, since 2017 or so, um, we have seen, for instance, in the Science of Military Strategy, which is an authoritative publication of China's National Defense University, Mm -hmm. Chinese researchers were writing about a new type of biological warfare of, quote, specific ethnic genetic attacks. In other words, pathogens that would leave Chinese people immune, but sicken and kill everybody else. So my sense, uh, you know, I I don't plan war for the Chinese, but my sense is that um, their first act would be to release a pathogen in Taiwan. We saw what COVID did to um, debilitate uh, not only people, but debilitate society. Um, yeah, well, now, that that's certainly worrisome. And people argue that this whole COVID thing was, in fact, biological warfare. I don't buy it to that extent. Well, Michael, let me let me just on that point there. We do not have 100 percent assurance where SARS-CoV-2, the pathogen that causes COVID-19, came from. You know, I think it was engineered, but I'm not a you know, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a virologist. Well, let's say it was and, engineered, and, but uh, they wouldn't release it on their own people, would they? I don't think so. Neither do uh, I. And that's another interesting question, which deserves a long answer. But let me skip over for a moment. OK, the we as I said, we don't have 100 percent assurance on the origins of COVID-19, but there is something that we have 100 percent insurance of, and that is once this disease got into the out into the Chinese population, that Xi Jinping made decisions to deliberately spread this beyond China's borders. He did two things oh primarily. First of all, they lied about COVID 19's transmissibility. Mm-hmm. They knew this was highly contagious, but they told the world, and especially the United States, that it was not. And then while they were locking down their own country, I know lockdowns are controversial. But by locking down their own country, they were telling the world that they thought that isolation was an effective way of dealing with the disease. So while these guys were locking down their own country, they were pressuring others, including the United States, to take arrivals from China without travel restrictions or quarantines. You put those two things together and there's only one conclusion, Mm -hmm. and that is that China deliberately spread COVID-19 beyond its borders. That means that 6.5 million people outside China who have died from this disease, I believe, were murdered. And that includes 1,055,000 Americans. So, uh, yeah, we don't know the origin, but we know that they turned a pathogen into a biological weapon. They weaponized it, and Mm. we should act accordingly. And the reason why is because... They have spread this disease. They've debilitated American society. They've killed Americans, and they have suffered no cost for doing so. 
But the next disease that comes from China could be the civilization killer, the specific ethnic genetic attacks that leaves the Chinese immune, but goes and, and kills Americans. So we need to impose a cost on Xi Jinping so he doesn't do this again. And this is a matter, this is an existential threat. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Well, going back to COVID-19, which is a subject I'm very interested in, going all the way back to when it first came into America. I remember speaking with President Trump. He actually called me, you know, the way he is. He'll call people he knows that he trusts, and he'll throw an idea out just to get your reaction. And he said, well, what do you think about banning travel? He said that to me on a telephone call, believe it or not. And that's he soon thereafter, he banned travel from China. And Nancy Pelosi, in a knee-jerk reaction, said he was a racist. And she went and walked around Chinatown in San Francisco eating dim sum, saying only racists would ban travelers from China. Now, I am not going to jump and say she's a, a fellow traveler with a Z and his party. I just think that she's so foolish in her use of rhetoric that she didn't even think this through. But she did say it's perfectly safe to go to Chinatown when the disease was already here from China. You know, there's there's a guy named and I forget his name, but I think it's Joe Biden, actually, <laughs> within hours of Trump announcing the travel ban on people from China, actually called the, the president's action, quote unquote, xenophobic, xenophobic. We now, could call it. Xen- Biden, couldn't we call it xenophobic? Yeah, we xenophobic. We could call it xenophobic. That'll be a new word soon. But, you know, this is. This is and then Biden has tried to hide the fact that he actually said this, Oh, please. But he attacked Trump as a racist for protecting the United States from travelers from a country that then was actually um, under siege because of covid-19. Now, Trump should have acted sooner. He should have acted with more determination. He shouldn't have given all these exemptions, but he did the right thing. And what's wrong here is not Trump acting slowly. The real sin here is Pelosi and Biden attacking the president of the United States for protecting our society. Sure, they got away with it because the media and they are one and the same. But Gordon Chang. So I'm again going back to the baby book called The Art of War by Sun Tzu, just to pepper the conversation with a little spice. And it says, uh, hence the use of spies of whom there are five classes. One, local spies, two, inward spies, three, converted spies, four, doomed spies, and five, surviving spies. You've already told us they clearly have operatives here in America, meaning Americans who are actually working in their interests. They're not even spies. They're just fellow travelers of the Communist Party of China, right? Right. You know, all these political figures that you refer to and you mentioned, Dole, um, got to remember just as an issue of reciprocity, nothing even sexier than that, mm. just as an issue of reciprocity, you know, we couldn't do what China does. China does all sorts of things in the U.S. We can't do those things in China. Um, like we can't hire people to run around and, and lobby the Chinese government. Mm. So why do we allow them to do that in our country? TikTok, you know, in addition to surveilling Americans, taking their um, information, in addition to trying to manipulate American public opinion, you know, 
we should ban it because of reciprocity. We can't have our apps in China, Michael. So why can they have their apps in our country? Why? Because in America, everything's for sale because of the almighty dollar. That's the that's the ultimate example of the failures of the of the of the capitalist system. You know, what, what it, was it Lenin who said it or Marx that when the Lenin. last when the last Lenin. capitalist is hung, it will be he'll be hung by a rope that was made by a capitalist or something to that effect. Correct. He said um, capitalists will sell us the rope that we use to hang. Well, with. isn't that what's going on here? Yeah, it's obviously that's what's going on here. So, and what we need. Yeah. How do we take the rope back? Well, fortunately, China right now is in dire straits internally. Oh, they've got a debt crisis, plunging property prices, a contracting economy, falling currency, worsening food shortages. Well, 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 this is interesting. I don't know anything about this. Why do they have so many problems all of a sudden? Um. Well, basically, they, they got a little bit unlucky, um, but largely these problems are the result of Communist Party poli- policies. Uh. The, the big issue is the debt crisis. And what happened in 2008 is that Beijing decided not to have a downturn. So they went on, uh, they embarked on perhaps the biggest stimulus program oh, in history. Okay. And quantitative, and give you quantitative an easing and stimulus uh, along the lines of what we were, were doing here. Right. But they were they were much more determined, much better at it in a sense. So they, they didn't have a 2008 downturn or at least not much of one. Uh, and to show you how big their program was um, in starting in 2009 and for four succeeding years, they created an amount of bank credit that was equal to the amount of bank credit in U- the U.S., even though in 2008, their economy was less than one third the size of ours. What is it now? So what's, the, what's the GDP of China compared to ours today, roughly? Well, they the Chinese will tell you that it's what seventeen point seven trillion or so of gross domestic product versus I guess it's something like twenty two, almost twenty three trillion for the U.S. But China has been, of course, exaggerating its GDP, and its exaggerations have gotten worse recently. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, they just this week indefinitely postpone the reporting of their third quarter gross domestic product plus their September um, data. And this has never been done before. And so there's a lot of people speculating about why they would do this. Um, And that's another conversation. But the point is, Mm -hmm. these guys have been um, overstimulating their economy. Their economy is now exhausted. Uh There's too much debt. They have no solution for it. And when Xi Jinping gave his work report on Sunday at the 20th National Congress, he didn't talk about these issues. He didn't talk about plunging property prices, which is really of utmost importance to the Chinese people. And he didn't also talk about youth unemployment, which is, of course, a great concern for a large segment of China's young, because the youth employment statistics are just off the charts. So when you have high unemployment, you have terrible debt. You have all of the ingredients for a stick of dynamite about to explode. And the best way to control it is to create a bigger foreign enemy than you already have. Point your fingers at the evil capitalist and tell everyone in China that's the Americans who are doing it to them. So what are the Chinese people being told about America? What do they say to them about us? 
Well, they they criticize American democracy, and they're very determined at this. Um, so just to give you an example, from the first days of the pandemic, they were saying that China's ability to control coronavirus cases showed the superiority of Chinese communism over democracy in general and American democracy in particular. Um, there have been um, just unrelenting propaganda since, um, well, for a very long time, but especially since the declaration of the People's War in May 2019. And generally, they try to um, propagate the notion that the United States is in terminal decline and that China will become the world's dominant power. So there's a lot of that stuff. They don't often say that in those explicit terms, but that's the message that they're trying to convey. And but they don't have a, they don't have an openly dis, an open movement of dissent in China, do they? It's crushed before it starts. Correct, because it's a total surveillance state. Now, there was um, a week ago, someone hung um, those banners over a bridge on the third ring road in Beijing. Mm. And that was quite a deal because they were very pointed comments about how people wanted freedom. But, you know, there are very few of those incidents uh, as open as that, or at least we don't hear about them. Because, as I mentioned, China's becoming much less open. Um, Xi Jinping is trying to close China off. And the system has become less transparent. I should say more opaque is probably a better way to put it. Home of borders, language, culture, the savage nation. Mr. Chang, if China were to make a move on Taiwan, would that necessarily unify the elements in China that right now are dissatisfied? No, I don't think so. I don't think the Chinese people are in mood for a war. Mm. Now, the Communist Party is, mm -hmm. or at least the upper reaches of the party, uh, are very much want a uh, war. Xi Jinping, you know, is, is signaling he does. The Chinese people don't. Remember, the Chinese people right now are not very happy. They're not very happy with the COVID lockdowns, which is just terrible, you know, is, is undermined support for the Communist Party. Mm -hmm. Also, something else. People in Taiwan, they do not think they're Chinese. They think that they're Taiwanese. And, and self-identification surveys show upwards of 80% say they're Taiwanese only. Below 5% say they're Chinese only. But just for my audience, but they're the same genetic people, genetically the same people. Uh, sort of, sort of not. Well, let, let me, as an amateur looking in, the Taiwanese... Taiwan was created by the nationalists fleeing the communist Chinese, correct? No? Well, well okay, yes. In 1949, Chiang Kai-shek was losing the Chinese Civil War, and he decamped to Taiwan, taking Chinese officials with but him. But who was on Taiwan? Just indigenous people? Um, yeah, indigenous people, um, aboriginals, as, as they are sometimes referred to. Interesting. Um, so there are tribes there. Uh, the Taiwanese that were there, and the Taiwanese are a mixture of um, Japanese, ah. um, South Pacific guys, um, oh. Chinese. But self-identification is critical, and, and people there overwhelmingly identify as Taiwanese. The reason why I say this is, you know, the people in Taiwan don't think they're Chinese, but 
people in the mainland think they're Chinese. And among common people in the mainland, you will often hear people say this phrase when people raise the issue of war with Taiwan. They say Chinese should not kill Chinese. Oh, interesting. So the people in, in China, even in the best of times, are not up for a war with Ch uh, Taiwan. So to the average Chinese, it sounds like to them it would be considered a civil war rather than a war against the foreign power. Yeah, well, they would they would. That, and that's the line of the Communist Party, that this is all one country anyway, and all China is doing is, quote unquote, reunifying. People in Taiwan would say, no, not reunifying, unifying, because the People's Republic has never ruled Taiwan. Um, this is awesome. And there's a lot of ba very bad history that the Communist Party propagates to say that they would be reunifying. But the people in China right now, they're concerned about plunging property prices because their wealth is tied, middle class wealth is tied up in property. Right. And they're worried about COVID-19 and they're worried about the general trend of Chinese society. And they do not want a war by and large. That sounds like America um, to, to a yeah. T. It's the same problems here. Plunging soon. We'll see the plunging uh, property values. We haven't seen it yet, but they're coming. We know they're real estate. Down. We know real estate has stalled. We know there's a downturn at the top, and that usually runs from the top down. Uh, we, we have almost the same exact problems, and that's why most Americans are not even concerned with the war in Ukraine. Incidentally, we've never been asked, do we want to keep sending billions of dollars to, to, to Ukraine? Do we want to kill Russians? No one's asked the American people. It seems to be a war of the elites here, which brings us again to another question, Mr. Chang. How does China view Putin's invasion of Ukraine? China's all in. All and in on this Putin's week, invasion. Uh, all in on Putin's invasion. Why? First of all, oh, China because they're a renegade. It's a renegade province from their perspective. See if an amateur looking in from their perspective, Ukraine is a renegade province of Russia. Is that, yeah. that's how they would see it? Yeah, well, that's part of it. But it's also that Xi Jinping and Putin are as thick as thieves and have been for a long time. The Chinese see Putin as very useful for destabilizing the world. <laughs> and we don't really have to speculate what the Chinese think about this, because, first of all, China apparently greenlighted the invasion of Ukraine. And we saw this in the 5,300 word joint statement of China and Russia issued on February 4th when Vladimir Putin went to Beijing mm. for the Olympics. And that's where they declared their no limits partnership. But it became painfully clear at the beginning of last month when China's third rank leader spoke to the State Duma in Moscow and in clear and in unambiguous terms supported uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And this, Michael, was at a time when um, the Russian army was collapsing in the northern sector of eastern Ukraine. So this shows real partnership. And Xi Jinping, at his 39th in-person meeting with Vladimir Putin, which took place in the middle of last month in Uzbekistan, mm. um, Xi Jinping reiterated China's commitment to the Russian war effort. But it's more than just rhetorical. China's been effectively financing Russia's effort by elevated commodity purchases, you know, purchases of Russian commodities. China's put its diplomats in the service of the Kremlin. China's opened up its financial system for sanctioned Russian institutions. Chinese propaganda outlets have been disseminating Russian disinformation, including TikTok, by the way, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And China has been supplying military information to the Russians. So, yeah, the, the Chinese are all in. 
that's another big subject, huge subject that we're not going to be we're not going to be able to develop. But boy, I'd love to discuss it because historically, Russia has viewed China with uh, with fear. They share a large yes. border and they're natural enemies historically. And now we have inadvertently driven these two huge entities together where China has propped up the Russian currency. The ruble is stronger than uh, we thought we would drive the ruble into uh, eternity, but we didn't. China's made the ruble stronger, haven't they, by trading with uh, Russia? Yeah, the ruble is stronger because of the drastic measures that Moscow has taken in, you know, after the U.S. sanctions. So the ruble is not really a strong currency, but it is being propped up by extraordinary measures that those measures weaken the Russian economy. Um, but, you know, apart from currency, um, what we what we have right now and, and, you know, this you talk about the suspicion and the fear that the Russians have of China, and that is their and we've got a lot of smart people in New York and Washington who say, oh, you know, we don't have to worry about Russia and China because they are natural enemies, as you say. But the point is, I don't worry about China and Russia forming an enduring partnership, you know, three decades from now. I worry about what the Chinese and Russians are doing right, right now. now and what they're doing right now. And this seems to have escaped yeah. the American foreign policy community. But what they're doing right now is they're forming the core of a new axis, mm -hmm. which includes a number of bad actors. And this new axis is intending to take down the existing international system, which, by the way, has been in place since 1648, the Treaty of Westphalia. Oh, goodness. So Russia, China, who else in the big countries? I would say you've got to include North Korea. You know, your question earlier about are the North Koreans selling military oh, equipment? The U.S. intelligence community thinks that they were going to. I don't know whether they've actually done it. Iran. Algeria. Mm. You know, there, there's just no end to this. And as the Biden administration continues to fail all over the place, you have countries bandwagging with China. Ah. I mean, even our friends. I mean, Biden, the genius that he is, yeah. thought that he could <laughs> undermine the Saudi royal family oh, and there would be no consequences. Oh, my goodness. What a mistake well, that has been. You know, this is like I, I you can't say nice things about the Saudi royal family. But the point is, if you're going to go after these guys, you got to be prepared that they are going to work closely with China, which is exactly what's happened. No. And, you know, Biden goes over to Riyadh hat in hand as a beggar. And the Saudis say, you know what they yeah. say. I can't say it on your podcast. Like, well, maybe I can. You I don't can. know. But we the can, point we is, we can edit it out. You can edit it out. <laughs> But, you know, so so whatever you think of the Saudi family, and it's a very complex issue. I mean, but the point is, it was unrealistic to think that we could try to humiliate the Saudi family to undermine their interests, to support their enemy, which is Iran, and think there would be no consequences. That well, who makes just, those decisions? Who's in charge in the State Department? Are, are these people that naive? Apparently, yes. Okay, apparently, yes. But, you know, you put, your, you put your finger on something really important, and that is who's running 
the foreign policy of the United States. Now, we have a constitution, Michael, and that constitution says that the president is the commander in chief mm. and under, under our system makes foreign policy. But the uh, commander in chief has four times said publicly to journalists that the United States will defend Taiwan. And four times his subordinates have said, no, we won't. Uh, uh, Don't listen to the president. So, well, that's because that's we know that the, the presidency today is an assisted living facility inside the old White House. And, well, and then you know, and they let okay. they let Uncle Joe say what he likes. And then after he goes to sleep, they correct him. Which is, by the way, a constitutional issue for the American people, because we have a constitutional provision to deal with the incapability of a president. It's the 25th Amendment. And if the White House press secretary feels that she needs to correct uh, the president of the United States, then she should start to invoke the 25th Amendment. Oh. If not, she should listen to her boss. Now, the reason why this is important, apart from our constitutional issues, is the Chinese and the Russians see the disarray in the White oh. House. And they then believe that the United States cannot deter them. So deterrence was already breaking down. But what's happened recently is confirmed in the minds of the Chinese and Russians that they don't have to take into account the United States. And that's exceedingly dangerous. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Gordon, I know time is short, so... We have a weekend America with it. I don't care whether people agree with me or not. He shows all the signs of senility. There's mental problems. He's an old man who's showing his age. Not all old men show their age. Some people function well into their 90s. Very well, indeed. I hope I'll be one of them. He's a, a very old 80 year old. He's not functioning very well. Uh, he's shaking hands with Easter bunnies. He's walking off stages. He is uh, hugging 12 year old girls when he shouldn't be touching them. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on that people who are keen on observation see all of these things. So I'm in China now. I'm a dictatorship. I'm very strong willed. I've lived through hardships. My people are tough. We see a weak enemy. We have an ally called Russia who doesn't give a damn about human life as witnessed over the last few days of launching missiles into the heart of uh, Kiev. All of a sudden, they're no longer taking it out on the on the battlefield. Now they're taking it out on the civilian population because they know the winter is coming and know there's only so much a civilian population can take. So they're knocking out water supplies, electrical grids and things of that nature, feeling that they can break Ukraine from within. China is obviously seeing this and looking at Taiwan. Again, from our point of view of a war game, what would they do first? To take Taiwan? Um um, they'd spread a pathogen. Again, the, you're going back to that, the pathogen. That would be the first thing that they would do. The second thing... Um, Smallpox? So they they, Smallpox? Smallpox? Smallpox, um, some some new virus. But then they couldn't you know, invade. Is, then they couldn't invade if the population was infected. You know, they just kill everybody and then they walk in. But what do they want? You know, the, what do they want with Taiwan? The, the raw materials? Well, you know, they would... You know, we've got a lot of, again, a lot of um, foreign policy analysts who say, look, you know, Taiwan, one company there, TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, makes 92% of the world's made-to-order chips. Unbelievable. They want TSMC. They want, um, they want uh, 
they want Taiwan because it would break what's called the first island chain, give China free access to the Western Pacific. Yeah, they want all those things. But they would be happy to take Taiwan if it were a radioactive slab. What? And the reason. Oh, that's an alarming statement. Well, the reason is that um, Taiwan undermines a critical Communist Party narrative that uh, the Chinese people cannot govern themselves. As we talked about, people in Taiwan don't think they're Chinese, but the Chinese leadership thinks they are. And the Chinese leadership has been telling the Chinese people that the people in Taiwan are Chinese. And so, you know, when you run a vibrant democracy, which is prosperous, which is doing well, which by metrics is one of the most successful societies on the planet, you know, you can't say to the Chinese people, oh, you can't govern yourselves because you're incompetent. So it's a bad example of Chinese people governing themselves. This is the critical thing that we Americans, we don't think propaganda is important because we come from a society where if we don't like our president, we think that, you know, our elected leaders are legitimate. Now, I know people are going to qualify that, but the point is we elect our leaders. They have legitimacy because of elections. (laughs) So therefore, propaganda is not important for us. In, In communist China and in communist societies in general, hardline societies, you know, the authoritarians and the rest, Propaganda is absolutely critical. And so we Americans ignore, we purposefully go out to ignore what the Chinese say because we always say, oh, they can't mean that. Well, they do mean newsflash. They do mean it. They do mean it. And we have to listen to what these guys say because as Jim Lilly, who was the great American ambassador to China during the Tiananmen massacre, as Jim Lilly said, the Chinese always telegraph their punches. Oh, Yeah, but here we are in America saying, okay, there's going to be an invasion of Taiwan and we're getting ready for a kind of World War II amphibious landing. And here you've pulled the rug out of that theory and say, no, it's going to be a a, a pathogen. I haven't heard the pathogen theory, Mr. Chang, before today on this podcast. I mean, I wish I were smart enough to be the first one to say it. There's a guy named Rick Fisher of the International Assessment and Strategy Center based in Northern Virginia. Um, You know, I'm sure other people have said it. I'm just repeating what uh, people are saying. But, you know, the reason why I do this is because here you got this guy, John Culver, that I was talking about before. He assumes that Chinese war planners think like American war planners. Uh, He's saying the Chinese are going to wage war like we would wage war. Yeah. Well, the point is, no, the Chinese think differently than we do, and we cannot make these assumptions that China is going to do what we would do, which means we may have no notice of an attack by China on Taiwan. And to have this notion that, oh, don't worry about it, we can see it coming, I think that that is, let me try to pick my word here, but that is certainly wrong. The art of war, Sun Tzu. Thus, the highest form of generalship is to balk the enemy's plans, to make the army capitulate without bloodshed. You shake. Win without fighting. Win without fighting. Well, husbands and wives know that game pretty well, <laughs> but 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 the nations know that we don't. I, I by the way, I surrender. Every time. Well, you're a smarter man than I. Um, we have a whole show on, on marital bliss on another 
another podcast from the Chinese point of view and from the hard-headed Russian-American immigrant point of view. Uh, I always say that my wife should write a book about husband management. <laughs> but you're saying we, we try to pro- project how we would invade, how America would invade Taiwan, gung-ho Marines, landing ships, uh, landing uh, ships, uh, throwing themselves. That's what we're seeing in TV with these scenarios with ships and dropping uh, thing, running uh, on the shore. That's not what they're going to do is what you're saying today. Yeah, well, technically what I'm saying is they may not do it the way we would do it. I personally think they wouldn't do it the way we would do it. This is not like they're going to plan a D-Day invasion. They're going to they're going to think through because, you know, we have got all these ideas about how they would do it. We cannot assume that they my point is we cannot assume that they will wage war like we would wage war. To secure ourselves against defeat lies in our own hands, but the opportunity of defeating the enemy is provided by the enemy himself. The Art of War by Sun Tzu. That's a good one. That's a great one. Defeating the enemy is provided by the enemy himself. Yep. We Americans, as I said, we think that we're entitled to be oblivious. Uh, Well, after all, we've got... um, to worry about big things like the latest rap song and surgery of uh, children and things of that nature. That's what we're worried about now. Uh, what a metaphor. Mr. Chang, any final words today on this incredible topic? Will Z invade Taiwan? I think you've answered the question. You think yes rather than no, and it'll be sooner rather than later. Is that a fair assessment? Yes. Yeah, that is my assessment. So you have a dark, you have a darker view of humanity than I do. We have to assume that the Chinese are going to um, not do the things the way we would do it. We have to assume that they will act upon the capabilities that they are building. We have seen this in the historic, you know, in history, that these militant regimes, when they bulk up their militaries, when they ramp up their propaganda, they don't back down. Eventually, people who talk about war end up starting one. Mm. This is just this is history. So we have to Mm. assume that the Chinese are going to do this. Mm -hmm. Now, we can stop them because we're a far stronger society. But right now, we don't have political will. Will. You know, the metrics say that we're far, far stronger. And the Chinese know it. But the Chinese say it doesn't matter because They've got political will, and we don't. We don't. And on that score, they are right. And on that score, we have got to understand that this is not the way we think it is. We've got to be really concerned. We've got to prepare now. And we've got a Pentagon, three and four stars. We've got all these guys just completely out to lunch. Out to lunch. They're worried about white supremacy in the ranks and whether trans uh, troops are going to be uh, uh, comfortable on the battlefield. And the Chinese see this and must be laughing. I can just imagine an imaginary scenario between Xi and Putin having a laugh over that one, uh, saying, my God, look what happened to America. They probably once admired America's military might and leadership. I'm sure they did and learned a lot from it. I doubt that they do so today. Mr. Chang, this has been an amazingly fruitful conversation for me. And I hope we can continue it in the near future. This is an amazing discussion, but, you know, it does require more than a soundbite. 
and which is why I love podcasts. We have a chance and there's no commercials to break us up. Stop a train of thought. Are there any last thoughts that you'd like to leave my genius audience with? You know, we're Americans um, and we are, um, we stand our ground. Um, at least the American people do. Um, we don't yield. We are the last line of defense. And we have got to make sure that the people who govern us, the people that we elect, protect us. So November 8th is very important. Um, you know, when you look at the American politicians who have not defended us, they are not just liberal Democrats, they're also conservative Republicans. Mm. We've seen bipartisan failure over the course of decades. We've got to stop failing because ultimately and soon, we could lose our country. Oh, God, I don't want to hear it from a man of your deep, deep uh, knowledge of history. I'm here, I hear it from too many really smart people who know history. And of course, we say it can't happen here. But who would have thought that what is happening here would be happening here? I never thought that I would live to the time to a time to live in a time like this, where I watch things that I cannot believe are happening without repeating myself about shaking hands with Easter bunnies uh, and things of that nature. Gordon Chang, how can the people follow your work other than on television, on podcasts? What can they do to follow you more closely? Um, I'm on I'm on Twitter at G-O-R-D-O-N-G-C-H-A-N-G. And I archive my articles for free on my website, which is uh, www.gordonchang.com. It's Gordon G. Chang. On Twitter. On Gordon. And the website is www.gordonchang.com. Well, I want to thank you again for taking the time and for educating this audience. I'm sure they love you and uh, can't wait to speak with you in the very near future. Thank you very much. And, and I really appreciate the opportunity, Michael, because you are educating the American people on so many different topics. And that's exactly what we need. We need Americans starting to stand up and defend themselves. Mm. We'll let it go with that. The Art of War by Gordon G. Chang. <laughs> Thank you again. And Sun Tzu. <laughs> Thank you very much. Nice to speak with you again. Thank you, Michael. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.